right. Good morning. Good to see everybody. We're having a good morning so far, aren't we? As we continue this series going through the book of First Thessalonians, today we're going to look at the next few verses of chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, turn there. I've got to tell you, we were singing that song just a minute ago about how if the fall of creation is going to praise you, so am I, and it was a powerful song, but there was one line we got to where I just, man, just got overwhelmed. When it said, if you left the grave behind you, so will I. I believe God is going to be calling somebody out of their grave this morning. It just may be the grave of spiritual death that you've been in for so long. It may be the grave of some addiction or depression or some darkness that is over you. But I'm telling you this morning, God's calling you out of that. While I was driving up here for this service just, what, 30 minutes ago, this this new song came on that I'd never heard called Glorious Day. And the line is that in that said, you called my name and I ran out of the grave. And then you come up here and then that. And if you left the grave behind you, so will I. And I'm just like, all right, God, you got something in store for somebody this morning. And so I just encourage you to listen to him because he is speaking. And when he speaks, things happen. Picking up where we left off last week, we're going to start in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Paul says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful just for your presence here with us, Lord, that you would even choose to, God, reside here with with people who constantly belittle your name, God, who constantly follow after our own desires rather than yours, God, who constantly believe the lie that something other than you will satisfy us, but yet, Lord, you choose to be here with us right now and to make yourself known, and I believe you do that so that we won't do those anymore so that we'll find you as the all-consuming satisfaction, so that we know what it means to be led by you and not our own desires. And so, God, I ask you to have your way this morning. Speak to us through your word and call the dead. Call the dead out from their graves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to spend the majority of the time here just 
Looking at what Paul says here in verses 9 and 10 where he told the church that there really wasn't any need for anyone to, to write them a letter telling them how they ought to love each other. And he says that the reason for that is, for one, they're already doing such a good job of that. But more importantly, he says it's because they are being taught by God. Now, this is a very profound statement that Paul makes here, and it speaks to uh, one of the ways that things just absolutely change with the death and resurrection of Jesus Because Paul has just given evidence of one of the biggest differences between living under the law and living under grace. And how salvation has now been made available to everyone rather than just limited to one particular people group. You see, before Jesus came, the law of Moses was the greatest thing that had ever been given the Jewish people. It meant that there was no more guessing and speculating and trying to figure out on their own how to live a life that pleased God, how to solve mankind's greatest problem, which was separation from God. Because of the sin that started originally with Adam and Eve, mankind was unable to live the life that we were created to live in that intimate relationship with God the Father. And that longing for that connection exists in everyone, and everyone does whatever they can to try to, to fix that, to try to satisfy that, that longing. Add to that the fact that every child longs for the favor of their fathers. Sin caused us to fall out of God's favor, and so we have this desperate need inside of us to try to gain that back, to have the Father's favor. Before the law came, no one really knew how to do that. People just did whatever they assumed would, would get that. Oh, this was probably how God would, would find favor with me, and so they would do that. But over and over and over again, nothing ever worked. But then Moses comes along, and he leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. And while they were on their way to the promised land, they hadn't even gotten to the land that he had promised them yet. God himself etches something in stone to give to the people. Ten simple commands that if if they could just obey these ten commands, the problem would be solved. And so they thought, finally, no more guessing, no more speculating, no more futile attempts to try to satisfy that longing. They now knew exactly what to do because they had it literally chiseled in stone right there. They could even touch it and carry it. I mean, it was a tangible thing that they had with them there. And so for the next 1,500 years, that's what they tried to live by. The law was so important to them as a people, they built their whole society on it and around it. It was used to build their government. It's what all their, their laws came from. It was the basis of their education. When kids went to school, they went to school to learn The law, the law of Moses, the ones in society that everyone looked up to the most were the ones who knew the law the best and and did a good job of obeying it. They were thought to be closer to God than everyone else since that was the way to solve the problem of being separated from God. The problem with the law, well, at least one of the problems, was that if you didn't know it, there was no way 
to follow it. The law was this, like I said, this external physical thing. It had to be read. It had to be recited. It had to be learned and taught to, to, to others. And so that's one of the reasons that the Jews could claim to be God's chosen people because they were the only ones in possession of God's law. They had the one way, the one and only way for people to be made right with God and to find his favor. No other race or people group could do that because they didn't have the law. After a thousand years of this, though, God begins to speak to the people through the prophets. And he begins to talk about something new that he was going to do. It would be a new way for for us to relate to God and him to relate to us. A new way of being made right. A, A new way of dealing with sin that was still so prominent. Let's look at one of those prophecies It's one that gets pretty specific in in how things were going to be different. It's Jeremiah chapter 31. should be up here on the screen, starting in verse 31. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There's some pretty big statements that God is making here about this new thing that he was going to do. He said it would involve God's law being written not on stone tablets, but being written, written on people's hearts. He also said there'd be no need for, for anybody to teach each other about how to know God and how to live lives that honor him because they were all going to know that themselves. That meant that there would be no more need to study the law and teach it to others the what to do and what not to do in order to gain God's favor. And then the last thing he says is just absolutely huge. He says he's going to forgive their iniquity and not remember their sins anymore. Now, to a Jew back then, their thought to that, I'm sure, would be, if we do what? What is it we have to do in order for you to forgive our iniquity and and not remember our sin anymore? Because that's how their whole standing with God was based. That's what it was based on under the old covenant. What they did, as long as they did everything just right, then they would be in God's favor. But up to that point, the only way for their sin to be dealt with was for them to do something. They had to sacrifice an animal, put it on the altar at the temple, and when they did that, their sins were covered. But in this prophecy here, God doesn't say anything about what they had to do. It was all about what he was going to do. And through Jesus, he did that. Jesus became the full and final sacrifice for all sin. When Jesus was here on earth, he would also talk about how things were going to be different from now on. 
He would do things that the people saw as outright violations to the law. But Jesus would answer back to that and say how it's, it's not on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside. It's not about your actions. It's about your heart. There was this shift with Jesus from all the focus on outward things, outward appearances and outward acts, actions, the shift from that to focusing on what's on the inside. And through his teaching, some began to realize why no one was able to, able to fully obey any of the law, not even the ten simple commands. Nobody could do that, and now they were realizing why. It wasn't because they had an obedience problem or a faithfulness problem or a commitment problem. It was because they had a heart problem. And that's the whole reason why God gave the law in the first place was to expose this heart problem. It wasn't so they could finally be made right with God. It was to expose the root reason of why they couldn't. The issue of the heart and no law could ever change a man's heart. Something else that's interesting as a contrast between the old covenant and the new In the Old Testament, whenever God was saying something pretty important, he would usually say to whoever he was speaking it to, write this down. Be sure to write down what I'm about to say. The reason was because he knew that people would easily forget. And for other generations to know what God said, they'd have to look back and read it. But if you notice when Jesus was here, I mean, he said some pretty revolutionary things. But not one time did he tell anybody to write down what he was saying. Not until the book of Revelation when he had already resurrected and he gave John this revelation to to write this down. I think that was just because the things that John was seeing was not natural. And if he didn't write it down, remembering all that weird stuff he saw was going to come out even weirder than it did when he wrote it down. So God told him to write that down. But when Jesus was here, not once did he tell anybody to write anything down, which seems kind of odd because, like I said, this was some earth-shattering things that Jesus was saying. But the reason why he didn't is because of something he said in John chapter 14. Let's look at that. John 14, starting in verse 25. Listen to this. He says, The things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He didn't tell anybody to write it down because here he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance everything that I said. So that tells us why Jesus never told anyone to write it down. And it also answers the how, the prophecy in Jeremiah 31. God's law will be written on people's hearts. How? No one will have to teach anyone else about how to know God. How? Because the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Folks, the Holy Spirit is not some cosmic ideal who operates like the force in Star Wars. I think that's how a lot of people view the Holy Spirit, but he's not like that at all. He is a 
tangible part of the person of God who is given only to those who have put all their hope in Jesus Christ. And he is there to, to lead us into the life that God had saved us for and to enable us to live the life that God created us for. Under the old covenant, the law, in order to, to know how to live in a way that pleased God, people had to be taught by someone else how to do that. Because they were following this external thing. But Jesus changed all that with the giving of the Holy Spirit. With him now living inside of you, you know how to live in a way that pleases God. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you know. Because that has been downloaded into you by God, into your spirit, your heart, your mind. The Holy Spirit is there to lead us. Living a life that pleases God. In your notes there, I've listed some of the differences between law and grace. Or you could say the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. I just put law and grace because it's easier to write. Of course, these aren't the only differences between them. These are just the differences that have to do with what Paul said here in 1 Thessalonians. So for the first one, of course, the law is external grace or the new covenant is internal next one the law is written on stone grace written on hearts the law had to be taught grace isn't taught it's received grace has to be received the law was always based on man's effort this new thing that God has done through Jesus The relationship we now have with him is based solely on Jesus' victory. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. Now, I want to show you something else that Jesus said about this. John chapter 16, starting in verse 13. He said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He says it again. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. I've often heard people discussing... Or justifying why or why not they should do something. And they'll say, well, is it in the Bible? Does the Bible say not to? And I appreciate the desire for that to be the standard. And it it should. But there are some things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. Some, Some things that it doesn't specifically say you should do or not do this. And so how do we know if we should or not, if the Bible doesn't explicitly, specifically say it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will let you know. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you have a genuine desire to be led by him, you will know whether it's right or wrong. And that also eliminates the excuse well, I didn't know the Bible said not to do that. You might have not, not have known the Bible said it, 
But you knew. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Deep down, you knew because of him. Now, after saying all that, does that mean that there are no need for teachers in the kingdom of God? No, of course not. Doesn't mean that at all. If that was the case, teaching would not be one of the gifts that he gives to his church. The New Testament wouldn't be talking about teachers as much as it does. We should still teach others and allow ourselves especially to be taught. But here's the deal, and this is the next point in the notes. Human teachers should be a supplement to the Holy Spirit, not a replacement for him. We should look at human teachers as a supplement to what the Holy Spirit's doing in you, not a replacement for him. That means don't rely so much on a particular teacher that you like that you completely disregard the Holy Spirit. So if you do that, pretty soon you're going to be led into error because no teacher other than the Holy Spirit is right all the time and 100% accurate. But we should teach and be taught by others because God has placed teachers within his body. It's one of the ways that we get to join with God in what he is doing in the lives of his people. Now, this whole idea of not needing to be taught because we have the Holy Spirit is one of the reasons that I've heard people give for not being involved in a local church. I'll say, I don't need man. I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's the case to that person, I would say you may have the Holy Spirit, but you are not being led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would never lead anybody away from community. The Holy Spirit always leads us to community with other believers because that's what God desires for us. And that's one of the reasons why he does place teachers within the body because it fosters that community and relationship with one another. Even though we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, there are some things that God wants you to know that he's not going to tell you. He's going to tell somebody else. And why is that? Because it forces us into relationship with one another and us to rely on each other. You see, if God told me everything that he wanted me to know, then I'd have no need for any of y'all. Right? Because I know it. Why do I need to be in relationship with anybody? Why do I need community? Because God doesn't tell me everything I need to know. Sometimes he tells somebody else what he wants me to know. And I have to go to them to get that. Because that's how community and relationship is developed. The whole point of this, though, is that being right with God and living lives that honor and glorify Him is not dependent on some outward thing that we have to go to, learn, memorize, or anything like that. That's what living under the law was. The next point, we are not led by the law. We are led by the Holy Spirit. Now, look at this. Second Peter 1.3. You probably heard it quoted many times. It says, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So with the Holy Spirit in us, we have everything we need for life and godliness. 
Okay, for something to be true, it has to be true for everyone in every part of the world. Okay? That's why we know the prosperity gospel isn't true. You can't preach the prosperity gospel in the slums of New Delhi. It, it won't fly there. It won't work because it's not true. For it to be true, it has to be true everywhere. So this verse, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Is that true for everyone? I've heard stories of how there have been people in very remote places with no missionary no preacher, no contact with any other Christians at all, but somehow Jesus reveals himself to them the way that he did Paul on the road to Damascus. I've heard of it happening with members of ISIS living right there in one of their strongholds in Syria. So they become a Christian, but they've got no preacher to hear They've got no Bible study teacher to listen to. They've got no worship music to praise to. And if they did, they'd be killed for sure for doing it. All they have is this knowledge of Jesus that came from a revelation and the Holy Spirit living inside them if they uh, chose to put all their hope in him. Would this verse apply to them? Do they have everything they need for life and godliness? And the answer is yes. Why? Because they have the Holy Spirit living in them who will guide them in all truth. Now, every one of those stories I've read about that happening, God always provided some kind of way out for them in the environment they were in and eventually led them to other believers. But that was all part of the fact that he had already given them everything they need for life and godliness. Because the fullness of his spirit that he had put in them. Now earlier I said that what Paul says here is also one of the reasons why salvation is for everyone and not just the Jews. With the giving of the Holy Spirit to all who believe in Jesus, there really was no need for anyone to go to the only group who had the law. The only group who had the answer. The Holy Spirit absolutely decentralized access to God. It was no longer about being a part of a particular race or the right bloodline or even being one of those super righteous ones who were closer to God than everyone else. Access and closest to him has now been made available to everyone through the shed blood of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Thing is, I find so many people today who are still living with this old covenant mentality. Believing that they have to go to someone like some special person, some, some more religious or, or holier person or professional minister in order to get their prayers answered. 
have a better chance of their prayers being answered or having their life blessed in some special way that they don't think they could have otherwise. No, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you through faith in Jesus, you have just as much access to God and the things of God as me or any other Christian in God's kingdom. The same spirit that lives in me, that lived in Billy Graham, that even lived in Jesus when he was here on earth, lives in you. And don't you doubt it for a second that you have any less of him than anyone else. You have the fullness of his spirit living in you because of Jesus. You don't need to go to some priest or some other mediator who is then supposed to go to God on your behalf. You have been granted direct access to the very throne of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in you. Utilize that. Live from that. Believe it. So this is why Paul tells the Thessalonians, you have no need for anyone to write to you about it because you are being taught by God. He specifically says you're being taught how to love others. And that's why Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. By that bumper sticker on the back of your car. (laughs) No. No. By the t-shirt that you wear around. No. By your love for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. Loving others is a natural byproduct of having the Holy Spirit in you. You know, people get in debates. of How do you know someone really has the Spirit of God living in you? Oh, it's because they speak in tongues or because they do this. No, if they love others. Loving others is the definitive sign that you have the Spirit of God living in you. And this is another difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, God's people were identified by a physical mark, the mark of circumcision. If you had that, You were in. If you didn't, you weren't part of God's people. Today, God's people are still marked. But the Bible says it's a circumcision of the heart rather than the flesh. Last point in your notes. We are marked by the Holy Spirit. The evidence of that is shown in the way that we love others. The way that we love others. Now, very quickly, I want to look at the rest of what Paul says in this text. Verse 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Essentially, Paul is saying, live a life of integrity in every aspect of your lives. Don't give Christianity a bad name by being some loud, obnoxious attention seeker who's getting involved in everyone else's business but your own, being lazy and mooching off others. I'm sure you already know this without me saying it, 
but some of us may need to be reminded of it this morning. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you through faith in Jesus, he is there all the time. In every situation and environment that you are in. Everyone. He's not just there when you're at church. He's there when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're on a date, when you're at home, and when you're all alone when nobody else is looking. And he is there to lead you even in those situations. To lead you to live the life that Jesus died for, for you to live even in those situations. Listen, Jesus didn't die just for your church life. He died for all of your life, every aspect of it. And he wants to be glorified in all of it. Not just the religious part. For those of us who belong to Christ, we are not led by a list of do's and don'ts. We are led by the Holy Spirit. And by His Spirit, God has downloaded everything we need to be able to live lives that glorify Him in every situation. Everything we need to stand for truth in a world that is directly opposed to it. He has downloaded into you everything that you need to be able to forgive anyone who has wronged you. To be able to overcome any stronghold that has attached itself to your life. He's giving you everything you need to do whatever it is that he is calling you to do. Because of his spirit that lives in you. It's because of what Jesus has done that we now can. We now can. And it's his spirit that brings the dead to life that brings the dead to life and like I said earlier I believe there is somebody in here that he's calling out of the grave and he's sending his Holy Spirit to you right now to speak into you and to say come forth come forth quit living in death live in the life that I've provided for you. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And if that's you, I strongly encourage you to come down here. Some of the leaders of our church will be on these front rows. Tell them about it so that we can pray with you, so that we can rejoice with you. If there's something else the Lord is speaking to you specifically through something that was said here in his word. Get it right with him. Maybe it's something that you want prayer for that doesn't have anything to do with this message at all. You just want to have a time of ministering to one another, living in that community that he wants us to, to be a part of together, getting involved in what God is doing, joining him in what he's doing in the lives of people, and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us during this time together.
So let's do that. I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come up. We're going to worship him, and then we're going to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us on our own. That it was so true what you told the disciples when you said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And you came with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would experience the power of your Spirit being alive and active even in this place that we're in right now. Lord, of it being alive and active inside of us. Lord, we confess this morning that we have allowed ourselves to be led by so many things that have nothing to do with you. We've allowed ourselves to be led by our own desires. We've allowed ourselves to be led by charismatic personalities. so many things we've allowed ourselves to be led by. But God, we confess that and say that this morning we want to be led by your spirit. So Lord, every way that we haven't done that, every aspect of our lives that we haven't allowed your spirit to lead, Lord, we lay that at your feet this morning and say we repent. We want what you want for our lives, every part of it. So, Holy Spirit, would you come now and have your way? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand as we worship him together.